It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 on a Saturday morning. It is the Lawn and Garden Show, hosted by yours truly, Walter Reeves, after a well-needed and well-enjoyed two weekends off. But in my stead, Ashley Frasca, Jason Byer, did a super job hosting the show with my experts, Mickey Gasway and Winston Eason. We're here. Joe Lample was here to make sure that you knew what you were doing in your garden, even when I wasn't here. I was in England, my friends. I was in England, and actually on the Saturday, last Saturday, when Ashley was hosting the show along with Winston Eason, we were up on a hillside with our cell phone. We could get a signal on the cell phone outside of London listening to Ashley Frasca and Winston talking about ticks early in the morning. And we were just laughing and laughing because it was time for lunch in England. <laughs> we were just saying, Ashley, she's up early. She's up early there in Atlanta. But we are going to have lunch in a minute after we view this beautiful garden. We had a great time. I mean, we saw gardens like you wouldn't believe in England. We saw gardens that are traditional, big U hedges, eight feet tall and four feet wide, very dense and green, making these walls, these walled gardens are just enormous. We saw beds of flowers six and seven feet deep, wide. Four or five feet high, perfect roses, perfect flocks, perfect allium, perfect just about every other flower that we saw because we hit England at just about the perfect time for flowers. So everywhere we went, there was a plethora, a plethora of flowers that we had not seen before or in combinations that we had not seen before. And we had a great time, great group of 30 gardeners from all over the southeast and a couple from away from the southeast. And we got together, we had meals together, we traveled together, we stayed in little cute little hotels where we stayed. And we had a wonderful time. If you would like ever to travel with me to see gardens in other parts of the world, then it's always possible to just send me an email, go to my website and put on the click on the button that says contact Walter. And in your email say, Hey Walter, put me on the list for your future trips. And then I'll put you on a little list that we always send out before the trip actually is announced to the general public. We send it to the alumni, people who've been on trips before, and gardeners who said they would like to be considered, they would like to be informed about the trips coming up. The next trip, this is already full right now, frankly, is the trip to the Galapagos in November. We'll go down to Ecuador, we'll go out to the Amazon, we have to travel by boat once we land in Quito in Ecuador. Then we get on a boat, travel for an hour up the river to an Amazon lodge. We take over the whole lodge, a group of 28 people, and we stay there for about five days with a guide from National Geographic who comes in and tells us about the animal life and the ecological life of the Amazon. We go from there to the, on a boat, we stay on a boat for a couple, three days to go to the Galapagos Islands. That's going to be a bunch of fun. And I'm thinking, I don't know, next year, where we're going, I don't know. We don't have plans right now. If you have a place that you think is pretty and you would like to go, give me an email. Would you like to go to, let's say, Japan? Japan has lots of beautiful gardens, and they're just completely different from U.S. and European gardens. It might be fun to go over there and see the gardens, the history, and some of the um, 
interesting things about Japan go to uh, Hiroshima, of course, and that might be a possibility next year. We might think, 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 think. I don't know how many people would go with me to Vietnam, but I would love to go to Vietnam. Green, green, green Vietnam and see what happens over there. So if you have an idea of where you would like to travel, Send me an email. Tell me what you'd like to do. Give me an idea of when the when that would be a good time for you and for friends and other people, and we will work something out. This morning, if you want to know something about gardening, about how to be more successful in your garden, all you have to do is call 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. On Twitter, you can tweet me with the hashtag AskWalter. Ashley will go through Twitter a couple of times this morning and look for questions. And if she finds one there, she will read it out. And I'll answer that question on the air. And you can get your questions answered by Twitter, 404-872-0750, or on Twitter, hashtag AskWalter. All right, got it. Here we go. Who we got first in line? Derek is in Atlanta and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Derek, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, Derek. How can I help? Uh, we have several acres, and we're trying to lay out our our plans for a, a much bigger garden. Um, the the property goes; uh, it does slope toward the south, but primarily it uh, slopes toward the center. There's okay. a pond in the middle, and we started to uh, lay out our plantings, and we had the strawberries on the western side, yeah. and we were told. No, you really ought to put the strawberries on the eastern <laughs> side because they're going to appreciate the, the sunrise a lot more, okay. that early morning sun, than, say, like if you put in some fruit trees or something like that. Well, okay, that makes sense. If you have something in front of them, you don't want to break the sunshine or shade the strawberries in the morning. That makes sense to me. But if you didn't have anything to break the sunshine and shade the strawberries, they could be east, west, north, or south, as long as they got sunshine in the morning. So, go ahead. Um, well, no, I mean, we're just... We're trying to figure out which plants go where, and, and are the strawberries the most sensitive to morning sun or more more beneficial, or are there uh, is that just true in general? Where I, I know that most plants really like the morning sun, yeah. Um, but like for fruit trees and things like that, are those uh, is it more beneficial for us to put like fruit trees in the morning sun than say the strawberries? I think you're worrying a little bit too much about how you place them. The only real parameter that that you should consider, and one that I've already alluded to, is put the shorter plants in front so that the southern and eastern sun can hit them first in the morning, and the taller plants, like the fruit trees and vines and things like that, in the back. And as long as you put shorter in front and taller in back, it doesn't really, if I'm understanding your question correctly, it doesn't really matter if one gets a little more northeastern exposure than the other one gets a southeastern exposure or something like that. It's all just give them the most sunshine that they can possibly get in the garden. And for the most part, every vegetable I can think of right now wants to get sunshine. So all everything you do to make sure that a plant, a vegetable, a fruit gets sunshine, that is going to make that plant happy. Got it. I guess we were mostly concerned about... Um like mold and things like that, and I, I know that they all need the sun. It's just yeah. that we were kind of led to believe that there are some things that are just more sensitive to that. I but, think that's one thing that sometimes comes along with the territory of gardening, that after four years, five years maybe, Derek, you'll say, oh, I wish, and you can move things around. There's nothing that's set in stone about how you 
first arrange your garden that says in four years, once you determine that the water runs in a certain way and washes your strawberries away, and nothing that says, well, I'm going to change the strawberries, put it over here, and put the tomatoes and maybe one fruit tree up here to block the, the flow of the water. So you don't have to have perfect perfection. The first time you put a garden in, you can always change things around later. It's not something that's set in stone today that has to be that way 20 years from now. Got it. Very good. I appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun, Derek. What do you, by the way, just asking out of, out of curiosity, what are you going to do to prepare the soil to make the soil rich and to have it ready for your plants? Oh. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time for that. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was raw land. And it's, it's basically, you can't call it soil. It's dirt yeah. and rocks and clay. And um, so we're, we're bringing in tons and tons and tons of wood chips. I've right. tried to grow uh, like some sun hemp and uh, peas and different things like that to sure. put the organic matter in it. Uh, but that is, that's been a process. And how long have you been putting the chips and digging them in, or what's your process been like? I'm sorry? What's the process been like? How long have you been doing this additioning to the soil? Is it just the last week or the uh, last two years? This will be the third year. Third year, okay. Yeah. So how does the soil look now versus how it looked three years ago? Um, I think the wood chips helped the most. Um, oh, we, we didn't really have a lot of luck with the sun hemp. Uh-huh. Um, was really looking forward to that because that's just, I mean, that's supposed to be like, you know, the ultimate in putting organic matter back in the soil. Takes a um, lot of plants to do that, though. Takes a lot of plants. Go ahead. Yeah. And um, I, it, it's a process. Uh, but I think the, um, I, I think at least what we found is that the wood chips uh, may take some of whatever nitrogen's available at right. the time. Right. But over over a period of time, it all breaks down and puts it right back in the soil anyhow. Yeah. So, you know, unless you're, seems like, unless you're planting right away or planning yeah. on yeah. planting right away, um, the wood chips really, really did the most, at least as far as we can tell. I think you're exactly right. As long as you understand that you can't plant there initially, but that eventually, after a year or so, those wood chips break down and release the nitrogen back to the soil. And wood chips, I agree with you, are awesome amendments to the soil. You made the right choice, Derek. I'm proud of you for doing it. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts as far as uh, what we can... Because it, they are on hills, and you know we're worried about the water washing everything away. Um, and so I was always trying to plant something... Uh, at all times of year, just mm-hmm. for soil erosion, if nothing else. Yeah, 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 yeah. But and, I don't, I don't know that I can say that we've had really any great luck with one particular ground cover uh, or cover crop is is another. We don't have time to go into cover crops and all that kind of stuff. But it sounds to me like you have a really good grounding in the way you started preparing the soil, which is. Absolutely, the first thing that'll make you successful, and you're thinking about how to arrange the plants, which is the second thing that'll make you successful. And the third thing is always fertilize with the gardener's shadow. You know, that's what they say. The most successful gardens have the gardener's shadow on them many times during the week. As you walk around, look at things, observe things, correct things, 
then that'll make you even more successful, even if it's just pulling weeds out of the garden beds. If you'll keep that gardener's shadow on your garden, I think you'll be successful. Derek, congratulations to you. Good talking to you. We'll see you soon at 618 at News Talk WSB. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, hot like it was yesterday. High around 90 degrees, mixed with sun and clouds, low 71 overnight. Tomorrow, high of 87, scattered thunderstorms at night, low of 71 again. Chance of rain is going to be pretty high on Monday. So get your gardening done this weekend, and we'll get her all packed in and tight and go to work on Monday. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Ron in Stockbridge, Georgia joins us. Hey, Ron. Hey, man. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. How are you? Doing great, Ron. How can I help? Well, uh, a few years ago, I was like Sanford and Son riding around <laughs> and uh, gathering up people's leaves that they had raked up and uh, used them to mulch around plants in my garden. Yeah. Well, uh, I obviously picked up some morning glories. Yeah. And now I'm having a problem in my garden spot with morning glories trying to take over. And I was wondering what what could I do to get rid of these? If there are two plants that were formative in my youth, it was privet hedge and morning glories. Both (laughs) of them are the most miserable plants in the world, hard to control, and frankly, never controlled on my family's farm in Fayette County. There's a patch of privet there that we worked on for hours and days when I was a kid. It is still there. There is a part of the pasture that I drove through the other day in the golf cart. There are morning glories all over the ground. They are still there. After all that effort we went into hoeing and pulling and jerking them out of there. Oh, man. So, Ron, here's a couple of things to remember. Morning glory seeds can last in the soil at least two, probably three years. So it is a three-year process to pull or put herbicide on or hoe or chop or clip or something to get all those morning glory plants out of your garden. There is no real selective herbicide that will do anything better than that other than you being out there pulling them up. It's a miserable job. It's hot. It's sweaty. But I don't have a good answer. Well, and I and I had read somewhere too that uh, like disturbing them, pulling them up, yeah. sometimes helps spread them. Yeah, what that does is just disturbs the seeds that are in the soil beneath where it sprouted. There's still a couple more seeds in there, and they will sprout too. That's why I say for three years, if you'll be good and get them all out of there, finally you'll get some relief, and the morning glory population will disappear. Three years, hard work, you demand, Ron. You're the morning glory. Morning Glory uh, Conqueror in Stockbridge. The 628 News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news. It's, like it's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 636 on a Saturday morning, 68 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. 
I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your garden with whatever you want to do. Or if you need an excuse for whatever you don't want to do, happy to provide a written excuse that you do not need to do whatever your spouse wants you to do in your garden. All you have to do is call 404-872-0750, 404-872-0750, or on Twitter, you can tweet questions with the hashtag AskWalter, 404-872-0750, hashtag AskWalter. Already this morning, Ashley presented me a question from her teacher in high school. In fact, Ashley, what did uh, Peggy want to say? What did Peggy ask about? I keep in touch with Peggy, who is my high school AP English teacher. And we talk gardening all the time. It's sure. really cool. So leaf curl on her tomato plants. How did she describe it? The leaves were curled and becoming stiff. So my first inclination yeah. was to say Roundup. Am I right uh, or not? Herbicide, yes. Roundup, no. Because... And this would be totally consistent, Ashley, with four, count them, one, two, three, four emails I've gotten this week with people sending the exact same symptom on their tomato plants. The leaves come up stiff, swollen, strappy. They curl over. It looks like the top of the plant sort of like cauliflower a little bit. It just is the plant does not look right. The leaves are thick, and they just curl over and get really, really ugly-looking. What causes that? Well, Peggy, if she says her leaves are thick and strappy like this, it's not Roundup damage because Roundup damage on a tomato looks very characteristic. It's yellow at the base of the plant, and the rest of the leaf is green. But what this sounds like, and what these other four that got to getting to me this week are, is weed killer, other kinds of weed killer damage. The most common weed killer that I'm aware of is 2,4-D. That's the one in most every weed killer you spray on your lawn, 2,4-D. Although there are other weed killers in the same family who act in the same way, basically. They all have a hormonal aspect to the way they work. And when you spray them on a weed, it makes a broadleaf weed grow itself to death. That's a sort of a simplification of what happens. But nonetheless, when you spray one of these hormone-type weed killers on a violet or on a dandelion or other broadleaf weed, then the hormones in the weed killer say to the cells in the plant, grow, 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 grow. And finally the plant, as you notice sometimes, will twist up, it'll curl up, it'll flop over because the leaves have swollen up. That's what kills those plants. If a little tiny bit of that herbicide, that type of herbicide, gets on a tomato, it causes the tomato leaves to swell up, to look really strappy, to curl over and get thickened. That's the, that is the picture that I saw this week from four people, and now Peggy, Ashley's teacher, who sends the same thing in. So where does this stuff come from? could come from a number of places. One of the most common ones is simply spraying weed killer on a lawn too close. And so the drift from the, from the uh, spray comes over onto the tomatoes. And tomatoes are extremely sensitive to herbicides like this. So if the drift comes over from where you're spraying, that's one thing. Or if you're putting down a weed and feed that contains one of these hormonal herbicides in it, just the heat in 90 degrees, sure, 90 degrees is perfectly hot enough to evaporate some of that chemical. A little bit of breeze that moves it off of the lawn and over to the garden. Sure enough, that's another way that the herbicide can get on the tomatoes. Third way, suppose you have a friend who has a, a horse uh, farm, a little barn that has a couple of horses in it. 
And you say, can I have some of your manure? And your friend says, oh, sure, get rid of this manure. Don't need any of that. But the horses have been grazed on a pasture that's been treated with weed killer, which is pretty common with pasture owners. So you take that manure and put it on your tomato plants, and the herbicide in the manure comes up, affects the leaves, thick, strappy, you know the symptoms now. What about hay? If you go to a local farmer and say, hey, can I get a couple of bales of hay that I can use to mulch around my tomato plants, and the hay has gotten contaminated somehow with the weed killer, that's another way. Using grass clippings. Now, that's an easy one. If you collect the grass clippings from your lawn that you've sprayed with weed killer and the chemical evaporates off the grass clippings up into the leaves of the tomato, that's a fifth, fifth one to three, what fifth way for the chemical to be on your tomatoes. So be on the lookout, B-O-T-L, be on the lookout for your tomatoes. If they have any exposure to herbicide, they're going to look weird. Now the obvious question that comes after this is, well, hey man, can I eat the tomatoes off this vine? That's exactly what you're asking. You know you are. Well, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not somebody who can qualify in the very least ever, ever to say it's safe to eat the tomato on the vine. I will say that if a tomato plant in my garden had herbicide damage on it, if it was light, if it was just one limb or one leaf or one part of the stem that showed the symptoms but the rest of the plant looked pretty good, or if the plant grew through it and started producing new, perfectly good leaves, perfectly good flowers, normal-looking fruit, I myself would feel comfortable eating that tomato. You make your own decisions about what you want to do and what you don't want to do, but I myself would feel comfortable eating a tomato off of a herbicide-affected vine as long as I knew that it was coming from a part of the vine that did not look weird. Ah, enough said. If you look on my website, tomato herbicide, you'll see what I mean. Lots and lots. And by the way, I posted lots of pictures on Facebook to show the same thing. It is a very common thing now to show herbicide damage on tomatoes. Elizabeth is in Atlanta. Elizabeth joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Elizabeth. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How can I help? I had uh, our lawn people come by our home yesterday and uh, cut our lawn as well as all of our hedges. In addition to that, they also cut down... um, all of my knockout roses, all yeah. the tops are completely squared off, which I did not want them to do. Right. But is there a way to save them now, or were they just kind oh, yeah. of regrow on their own? Yeah, they're just going to re- regrow on their own. If you'll fertilize them now and give them uh, do, 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 about three to four weeks, I'm guessing, Elizabeth, 16 inches above where they were cut, you're going to have flower like crazy. So sometime in late Ju- about mid to late July, you're going to have flowers like you wouldn't believe. Oh, great. So what kind of fertilizer? I just want to use the knockout rose um, fertilizer sure, or Sure, you can kind. use that or 10-10-10 or go to the, go to the nursery and get some Osmocote. There's all sorts of fertilizers. You can use all of them would do fine just as long as you apply it now to sort of fuel the growth of the roses. And then six weeks later, you've got, you got flowers. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. You saved my day. All right, Elizabeth. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> Glad the day is saved. Joan comes to us from Roswell to ask a question. Hey, Joan, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How can I help? So uh, we were on the uh, Garden Tours of England together. Oh, Joan, hi, how are you? Good. And we talked about Roundup. Yeah. And um, so I, like many other people, have had times when I used Roundup, and then mysteriously a few days later I had 
dead patches in my lawn uh-huh. and thought, what did I do? And I learned that if I walk across, of course, I'm spraying and then walking forward, get Roundup on my shoes. Ooh, yeah. avoid that, I have a dedicated pair of, well, it could be glyphosate, but anyway, I'll call it Roundup, uh, pair of shoes, I get a magic marker, and I write <laughs> Roundup. Okay. On the toes, and I only use those when I'm spraying, which I am right this minute. Right. Uh, spraying the Roundup, and then I will walk across an area where I know it wouldn't hurt if I killed something. So I'm on the pine straw island, and then back in, take off those shoes, and then have other shoes for the garden. I could easily see a pair of Crocs like that. A pair of Crocs are easy to slip on and slip off. You just put put them underneath something at the end of the garden that keeps them from getting totally waterlogged when it rains and calling those your your herbicide shoes. My herbicide shoes. My herbicide shoes. Yeah. And the other thing, um, I always, uh, I use a funnel uh, to to avoid spray and drift. Um, I got a big funnel that I don't change the oil in my car, right. where you get the funnel, is in the automotive department, and I uh, duct tape it so that the spray tip is down inside the funnel. Oh, so it's upside can, down. I understand. So you're making sort of down, a guard. And I, I'm covering over, it's like a cloche, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm covering just that plant, if I'm anywhere near anything else, and just spraying just that plant, so I'm not getting drift on other desirable plants. That's smart. I've seen the same thing done with the bottom cut out of a, a milk jug where somebody taped the sprayer nozzle inside the neck of the milk jug, the bottom, of course, being cut out. And so they just put the bottom of the milk jug over a big weed and psh, like that, and the, weed, the herbicide can't go anywhere because it's inside the guard. You made one out of a funnel. That makes perfect sense to me. Great idea. And the other thing I do is I come out at sunrise because there's the least wind at sunrise. Yeah. And the other thing I did is uh, good fences make good neighbors. I talked <laughs> to my neighbor who has uh, has English ivy coming through and said, is it okay if I kill the English ivy on my side and maybe one or two leaves on your side will go? And she said, I've been wishing to get rid of it for oh, years. Oh, yeah. You're doing her a favor. <laughs> uh, killing the round, killing the English ivy with Roundup. I do the same favor for my neighbors too. If they don't need that English ivy, I don't want it on my yard. So theirs goes, mine goes, and nobody has English ivy in their in their azaleas anymore. I do have a question. Yes, dear. Years ago, a chemist friend told me that it would be very good if, when using the concentrate, I mixed it using distilled water, because hmm. some tap water the pH is such that it kind of makes the Roundup or the glyphosate ineffective. It does after a while. On initial mixing, there's enough buffering agent in the Roundup that it doesn't matter so much about the pH of the tap water. But if you leave Roundup mixed up in your sprayer for a week or so, my guess would be that you're going to diminish some of the effectiveness on the Roundup. But it does oh, have okay. a, a buffer agent in the Roundup formulation, usually, that keeps it from changing pH and breaking apart the chemicals. It's still effective. Uh, but I'm using a big gallon uh, sprayer that yeah. probably takes me two, three months to use up. Then get a smaller sprayer or mix less in the bottom of the sprayer. Or use okay. distilled water. If you use distilled water, I think there's less chance of the uh, chemical being broken apart by the change in pH. So distilled water is pH 7, so you're fine. Okay. Thank right. you. 
Joan, it's great talking to you again. Hope to see you soon. You and Carson, see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you on future trips. Looking forward to it. It's 648 News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Hot today, almost 90 degrees. Of course, we know what 90 degrees feels like in Georgia. Sun cloud mix today, low tonight, 71. Tomorrow, high, a little bit cooler, 87 is the prediction. Chance of thunderstorms at night with a low of 71 again. Chance of rain goes up on Monday, so look forward to getting your gardening done today. And maybe the rain will pack it all up together. We'll have a nice-looking garden on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Get your lawn mowed and all that done. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Glenn is out in Gainesville, Georgia, up in Hall County. Joins us on Lawn and Garden. Glenn, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? You're doing great. How can I help? Uh, Walter, I had one of the national... Um lawn fertilizer companies doing my lawn and over the winter i started getting weeds like crazy the winter weeds yeah and obviously they weren't doing doing their job well when i complained back in march about it several times they came in about every two weeks um and probably three times just bombarded it with weed killer and so it stayed dormant and it i've since got rid of them but I mean, it's just now starting to come back to green. And my lawn was one of the nicest ones yeah. in the neighborhood. Is there anything I can do to speed up the process of it getting green? Because it's only about yeah. half green and half brown right now. How, how are you fertilizing? Who's done the fertilizing? I, I'm not, I wasn't doing it. They were fertilizing it. Okay. And I haven't done anything to it because I'm scared to put any more fertilizer on it. Check the records. See what they did. Check with them and see when was the last time it was fertilized. Bermuda grass does pretty nicely, fertilize every five to six weeks. So just use right. your calendar and say, okay, let's fertilize again. And, you know, honestly, like I said just now, Glenn, if it's raining on Monday, this would be the weekend to get out there and fertilize. Okay. There's nothing more helpful, I think, than just a regular application of nutrients and water. You get the water okay. from the sky and the nutrients from your local nursery and uh, put it on there every six weeks and I should green it up pretty nicely by the fall. You'll be mowing every five days and cursing my name. So, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Believe me, I love that. Yeah, um, and then, you know, basically uh, making the Bermuda grass grow that fast, that's going to help some to control weeds. So I don't think I would concentrate on weed control right now. More than anything, I think you need to make the grass healthy. Grass, healthy grass is what kills weeds and prevents weeds and makes the bare spots go away. And uh, I just think that's what we need to concentrate on. Water, fertilizer, green grass, mow it regularly, bangity boom. Glenn's got something to be proud of. And back to the yard of the month in Gainesville. Thanks for calling, Glenn. At 6.58, we'll have Eduardo in Douglasville talking about his leaves turning brown after the news.